0: Well, good afternoon. Let me just get started. It's a privilege to be here, and I do look forward to opening the word with you. Um, So let's jump in. Uh, Recently, I was reading an article online titled, Tribalism is Tearing America Apart. Now, that article was written by former Secretary of Labor Robert Reich, and Mr. Reich's article caused me to take some time to do a mental survey of the various tribes, the various subgroups that I know of here in the Bay Area, but also nationwide. Have you ever done that, taken a survey of tribes and subgroups in our nation in our local area? Well, if you have, then you know that as I did that, it didn't take very long for me to develop a substantial list, and I don't have time to go through that whole list, but um, I'll give you some examples of what I'm talking about Um, No doubt we live in a society where people naturally group up around all sorts of people, all sorts of causes, and all sorts of objects. And to be honest, some of the groups which form around people, causes, and objects are harmless. By way of example, I have an iPhone. How many of you have an iPhone? Okay, now, as over against an iPhone, how many of you have Androids? All right, and so you've got the Android tribe, and you've got the iPhone tribe. Um, Now, I never thought I'd buy an iPhone, mainly because I'm so cheap, but I was given an iPhone one Christmas by our church staff, and soon I had joined the Mac tribe, and it wasn't long after that until our whole staff had joined the Mac tribe because we had a gentleman on staff that was a Mac user, and all of us used PCs slowly. I think he was a Mac evangelist. He got, he got all of us converted over to using Macintosh. Um, and the interesting thing is Mac users form a very definite subculture in the Bay Area and also around the world. Um, who were you rooting for in the Super Bowl? Okay, Eagles. How many Eagles fans do we have? How about Patriots? Only one brave lady raised her hand. Okay. But you know, we form subgroups around our favorite sports teams. Uh, I've never been a diehard sports fan, but here in the Bay Area, some are serious fans of the Niners or the Giants or the A's. Obviously, some of you are serious fans of the Patriots or of the Eagles. And then we have Raider Nation. Any Raider fans here? Okay, Raider Nation. And the fans of sports teams form a very definite subculture, and all of us recognize this. Now, each of these particular groupings, whether around sports teams or electronics or even around one's favorite performer, are for the most part harmless, meaning people from group to group hold no real animosity toward people in other groups. Would you say that's true? I would say that's true. I can't remember the last time an iPhone user got beat up by an Android user. (laughs) Though sometimes sports loyalties have resulted in some violent actions. And people surely don't refuse to socialize based on what phone people use or what sports team someone follows or what performer one likes. But Mr. Reich's article wasn't focusing on those types of social groupings. His was a discussion of tribes, subgroups, social groupings of a far more serious nature. Tribes that truly do divide. Tribes that truly do stand up against each other. And sometimes these tribal loyalties can become violent. For example, what do you think of? When the topic is Democrats versus Republicans, which tribe are you of politically? And do you break fellowship with people of the other political ilk? Or think about candidates running for office like Bernie Sanders versus Donald Trump versus Hillary Clinton. Uh, Which tribe were you of in last election? And do you have a tendency to dislike or despise people who differ from you in their choice of political candidates? What do you think about when we speak of white privilege, racial inequality, black lives matter, and white supremacists? Depending on where you live on the economic spectrum or what race you represent, will depend on your perspective on this particular matter. And often being a church member calling ourselves Christians does not temper our perspective one bit. What do we think about when the topic of immigration comes up? Refugees, DACA, and a wall between Mexico and the United States. Do you think, yes, New migrants, new immigrants are coming to our neighborhood, and what that means is that we have a greater gospel opportunity when these individuals and families come into our arena. Or are immigrants a threat to your peace and your security? How about gay rights, same sex marriage, same sex attraction, the LGBTQ community, and identity politics around one's sexuality? Do you see this group as the enemy? A group that's destroying the moral fabric of America? Which is questionable at best if you believe the gospel. Or do you see them as just sinners like yourself in need of the same grace for salvation that we all were in need of before we encountered Jesus Christ? And what do you think of when the conversation turns to Muslims? Mosques down the street and calls to prayer in your neighborhoods. I had the privilege of serving among Islamic people in the southern Philippines for, for my time in the Philippines, part of it. And I came to like the call to prayer. I don't agree with it theologically, obviously. But I did come to like that. But that aside, how about you? Um, do you live in fear or hatred toward the Islamic community in our backyard? Or do you rejoice that God in his providence is bringing so many people from closed countries to our own open country, providing the church an awesome, awesome, awesome gospel opportunity. When it comes to all of those questions, how do these questions impact you? Which tribe are you in? Which tribe do you fear or despise? Which of these social, political, or religious tribes do you hate or do you love? In Mr. Reich's article, these are the issues That he sees as tearing America apart. Now these types of questions may seem odd for me to be asking as an introduction to a message from Ephesians chapter 3 verses 1 through 12. But I chose to start here for a very, very good reason. As we have seen from the two messages prior to mine, Christ came to earth for a purpose. He came to earth on a mission. He came to earth for the purpose of launching a new humanity, a new community, or if we use my term, a brand new tribe through the gospel. And I think that that's come out very clearly from Dr. Carson's message and also Ashvin's message. And this tribe is the church of Jesus Christ. This tribe is the church of Jesus Christ. Now, this new humanity has from Christ a new life which sources not from it, but from Christ. And this new humanity has a new unity in Christ. And in the first century, that new unity in Christ came between the Jewish people and the Gentiles. But we also have a new mission. And this mission can actually be helped, or it can be hindered and even stopped, If we as a church become sidetracked by the tribalism of our time and we don't want that to happen. Our mission you see is not to hunker down in peace and safety and ignore the diverse society all around us in the name of Christ on the one hand as some communities in the church are prone to do nor is it to prioritize the world's concerns and the world's agendas on the other hand. So what is our new mission? Well, it is to penetrate these other tribes with God's alternative. And God's alternative is the gospel of Christ. And through the gospel proclaimed, through the gospel modeled, we are to call people out of those tribes and into Christ's tribe. That's our mission. And as that's happening then, we are to equip those called out of darkness into light only to send them back to repeat the process again. So the question is, how do we do this? How can we as 21st century Christians and churches living in the midst of such a diverse community actually impact the many and various subgroups all around us without getting caught up in the agendas of these other tribes? And for answer to this question, Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 through 13, is a perfect place to start, and we have no better teacher than the Apostle Paul himself. And so what I want to do is read from chapter 3 of Ephesians, verses 1 through 13, and then I'm going to pray, and then we'll continue. So follow with me. I'm going to start in Ephesians chapter 3, reading verse 1. Paul writes, For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I have written briefly. That's a reference back to what he's written prior in this letter to the church in Ephesus. Verse 4. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men and other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given, to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery, hidden for ages in God, who created all things, your glory the word of the lord father we come before you as we're going to continue through this portion of your word and we ask you now to continue to speak to continue to minister to us to help each and every one of us as christians and to help all the churches represented to get our heads and hearts around a part of this passage so that we might not only enjoy the new life and not only live out the new unity in our congregations, but so that we might also participate in Christ's new mission for the sake of the nations in our local area. Give me grace to speak, that you might be glorified. If there's any in our midst that don't know you, please be gracious and merciful to them, calling them into your Son, Jesus Christ. We pray in Christ's name, amen. Now in these 12 verses, there's a lot of information. You probably noticed that. More than we can possibly cover in a single session. So what I would like to do is to draw out three details from Paul's own life, which show us the way to carry out Christ's new mission in our own context. ...without getting caught up in the agendas of the tribes, the subgroups that we want to reach with the gospel. And so I want to give you these three details, and then I'm going to repeat them as we move through the rest of our message together. So as we consider Paul's words in Ephesians 3, 1 to 13, one of the things we see is how in Paul's life, the gospel was barrier-breaking... The gospel was barrier-breaking. And he references that in verses 1 through 3 and verse 12. Um, Next, we see how the gospel made Paul a barrier-breaker and not a barrier-builder. And it's very important to understand that. The gospel had made Paul a barrier-breaker and not a barrier-builder himself. And that's in verses 4 through 7. And finally, we're going to see that this barrier-breaking gospel should result in a barrier-free community which model God's manifold wisdom to the world. Now, it doesn't always result in that. We'll talk about why in a moment, though. And you see, it's through this community, the church, that Christ's mission is always moved forward and that Christ's mission must move forward through in our own local area today. So let's look at each of these these details. Details from Paul's life. Quickly, uh, the very first detail which Paul gives us, found in verses one to three and verse twelve, is that he is a prisoner for Christ. That is, he is in jail for Christ on behalf of the non-Jews of Ephesus, and his suffering, he says, is actually there. Glory. And this tells us that in Paul's life, the gospel was barrier breaking. For him to be saying what he's saying about his imprisonment and these Gentiles tells us that the gospel was first barrier breaking in his own life. In other words, it had shattered his own barriers so that he became Christ's follower and Christ's apostle. So how do we get that from these verses? Well, it's a hard sell to get it exactly from these verses. But as we consider what he writes, we do see that when we consider who he once was versus who he is now. And so we arrive at what I'm talking about by asking who was Paul and how did he come to be where he is. And if you're familiar with the Acts, you know who Paul was. Paul, as we learn from his letters, was a once proud Pharisee. That can be read religious fundamentalist. That's who he was in his cultural context. As touching the law of Moses, he could say that he had lived a blameless life. As much as he understood externally, he was perfectly conformed to the law of Moses, and so he had lived a blameless life. Now he was a really zealous fellow. He hated the way of Christ because he realized that Judaism on the one hand and the way of Christ on the other couldn't peacefully coexist. And he was totally committed to the religion of his forefathers. And so he hated the way of Christ. And the result of that is that he persecuted the church. He persecuted the church. He was, if I may use this analogy, as rapidly against Christians... As any radical Islamist might be today, that was the Apostle Paul in the first century. And this means Paul had huge barriers standing between he and Jesus. Probably far greater barriers than any of you have standing between you and Jesus if you happen to be here this morning and you don't belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so what happened? Well, the first thing that happened to him was that Jesus broke through Paul's personal barriers with the gospel. How did he do this? It's a familiar story. Paul was traveling to the city of Damascus to arrest followers of Jesus Christ when the gospel appeared to him. The gospel, you see, is good news about Jesus. So Jesus is the point of the gospel. And the person the news is about appeared to Paul, surrounded him... Or rather, he was surrounded by a light that was so bright that it blinded Paul and knocked him to the ground. And then a voice confronted him, asking him why he was persecuting him. Paul, Paul, why are you persecuting me? And as Dr. Carson pointed out this morning, that's because Christ is so identified with his people. Paul's persecution of Christ's people was a persecution of Jesus himself. And so Paul says, who are you, Lord? And the voice says, I am Jesus, who you are persecuting. And then the voice told him to get up and it would be shown to him what to do. And so Paul did exactly what the voice told him to do. He got up and he continued to Damascus and he prayed and fasted for three days. Now, what do you think he thought about during those three days? We're not told in Scripture. But most likely, he was thinking about Jesus. Jesus was who he was thinking about. And through this experience, his own personal barriers were blasted away. For he shifted in his opinion of who Jesus is. So the gospel shattered Paul's own barriers, standing between he and the Christ. And he became a follower of Jesus Christ at that point in his life. And by grace, he never again picked up the barriers that Christ had demolished. He never again picked up those barriers again. Now listen, there's a lesson for us here. Um, If you call yourself a Christian today, uh, the question is, have you had an encounter with Jesus where Jesus has blasted your barriers toward other people, regardless of what subgroup they might be from. Listen, as a Christian, you and I are a part of Christ's new mission, but we will never be fully effective, you will never be fully effective in that mission if we allow certain barriers to stand between us and other people. Also, I suspect that in a group this size, there are some who don't follow Jesus, who don't believe that Jesus is who the Bible says he is. Now, Jesus said of himself that he's the way to God, he's the truth about God, and he is the life from God, and no one can come to the Father, no one can come to God except through him, but perhaps you don't want to accept this. Now, if this is you, what's the barrier that keeps you from Christ? My prayer for you, even though I don't know you, is that Christ breaks it. That Christ breaks it. Uh, while I was serving as a missionary in the Philippines... One of the opportunities that I had was to share the gospel with a Filipino bar owner one night in Manila. And I'll never forget that, that, that encounter with him. Um, after I explained to him the gospel story really clearly, he looks at me and he says to me, I can't become a Christian. Well, of course, I ask him, why not? And here's how he responded. He said, I own this bar behind me. And inside this bar, there are a number of girls who work for me. And between the money they make for me and what I make from selling beer and hard drinks, I'm getting rich. And I know that to become a Christian, I have to give all this up. Okay, now, he got that part. He got that part. To become a Christian, he was going to have to leave a business which basically was thriving on the depravity of other human beings... A business where women were being sold sexually. And that means his income would stop from those sources. He got that much. Between the money they make and what I make from selling beer and hard drinks, I'm getting rich. I know to become a Christian I have to give all this up. And then he said, I also know I will never be able to make this much money if I do. Therefore, I cannot become a Christian. Now, that was his barrier. Paul's barrier was religious in nature. This man's was economic. If you're not a follower of Christ this morning, what is your barrier? What holds you back from following Christ? Is it economic? Is it racial? Sexual? Intellectual? Whatever your barrier is, I pray for you that somehow, sometime, Jesus' gospel breaks the barrier so that you can believe. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. He's the only way. And apart from him, nobody is going to make it into the presence of the holy God for eternity. And so that's the first thing that we can deduce from what Paul writes in chapter 3, verses 1 through 12 of Ephesians. Next, we learn from these verses how the gospel of Christ then made Paul a barrier breaker himself. And we learn this by asking why was he in prison and what did Christ impart to him? And so let's unpack that a little bit. After Paul had his own barriers broken down, and he came to be convinced that Jesus really was the Jewish Messiah, Jesus had a mission for him. And Jesus told him that he, Jesus, was sending him, Paul, to the non-Jews. That's what our text calls the Gentiles. Unless you were born of Jewish descent, you're a Gentile. I'm a Gentile. He was going to be sent to the Gentiles with the gospel. So Jesus' mission for Paul was that he take Jesus' good news to non-Jews. Now Paul references this in verses one through three. He says, For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. And he goes on talking about how it wasn't made known to men in other generations, but now it had been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. And then in verse 6, he gets right to the point. He says, This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of his power. So he was given a mission. And this meant something very significant for Paul. This meant that he would have to step out of his own Jewish box. And it also meant that he had to enter the Gentile world and step into their box in order to proclaim the gospel of Christ. Let me put it another way that will relate to us clearly in the 21st century. Paul had to cross racial barriers and he had to cross religious barriers and he had to cross dietary barriers and he had to cross social barriers in order to reach non-Jews with the gospel. And that's part of what cost faced him as the Jewish apostle to the Gentiles. But he'd been entrusted with the task of proclaiming to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And so personal preferences got laid aside in order to fulfill his ministry. And ultimately, this is what he did. And so he would write to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians nine twenty to 23, how to the Jews he became as a Jew that he might win Jews. To those under the law, he became as one under the law, though he himself was not under the law, that he might win those under the law. And to those outside the law, he became as one outside the law, though he was under the law of Christ, that he might win those outside the law. To the weak, he became weak, that he might win the weak. And then he told how he became all things to all men, so that by all means possible, he might win some. And he did this for the sake of Christ and the gospel. He had not only had his own barriers broken, but then he became a barrier breaker and not a barrier builder crossing all sorts of barriers in order that Gentiles might hear of the unsearchable riches for Christ. Paul lived toward others like Jesus had done toward him. And this is where the trouble arose. Because you see, in Paul's day, in the first century Jewish mind, for a person to know the Jewish God, that person had to convert to Judaism. In other words, they had to move into the Jewish box. Paul preached in Christ the resurrection from the dead, though. And he proclaimed to non-Jews how in Christ non-Jewish believers were, first of all, fellow heirs. That's in verse 6. Next, fellow heirs with Christ and then members of the same body as Jewish believers, standing on equal footing with their Jewish counterparts who followed Jesus. And then thirdly, they were partakers of the same promise in Christ through the gospel. That's all in verse 6 of our chapter. But contrary to what the Jews had always thought, Paul was telling non-Jews that they didn't need to get into the Jewish box to become partakers of the gospel promises. They needed to get into the Jesus box and follow Christ. And trust in Christ was sufficient, for that is the gospel. Now, that's where the rub came. This was hard for Jewish people and even Jewish believers to accept. For many of them, Gentiles were enemies, but not for Paul. And this is what finally caused his arrest in Jerusalem, which resulted in his trip to Rome, where he was kept under house arrest until he could appear before Caesar. And it was from Rome that he wrote this letter to the church in Ephesus. Paul never picked up the barriers that Christ had broken him free from. Sometimes we do after we come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. And there's a lesson from this part of Paul's life for us in the 21st century church as well. The gospel of Christ is barrier-breaking. And by design, it makes people into barrier breakers, not barrier builders, if it's functioning right in the hearts of its recipients. And it does this by calling us out of our social boxes and out of our political boxes and out of our racial boxes and out of our our sexual preference boxes And into the world like it did in Paul's and the other early disciples' lives once we are called into Christ. Are you following me? And it calls us as individuals in churches to step across social and racial and cultural barriers in order to see people from other subgroups embrace Jesus Christ by faith. That's all over this text. Paul calls himself the very least of all the saints. But that grace was given to him to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. That one phrase, preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, is jam-packed with the truth that Paul had to step over barriers and break through barriers in order to carry out his ministry. And he was also entrusted with bringing to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for the ages in God who created all things. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known. Now here's a problem. When we are more concerned with our own political, social, racial, or religious preferences than we are with the good news of Jesus, which is for all people. That's what the angel said the night that Jesus was born. Do you remember that in Luke chapter two? Then it becomes difficult to cross over to people of other tribes, of other subgroups in order to friend them for Christ. And when this is the case, it makes it near impossible for us as the church to carry out Jesus, his mission. Jesus Christ sets us free from all kinds of barriers. When we come to know him, it's common though within the 21st century church for Christians to pick up other barriers which hinders them as much from participating in the mission as they were hindered from walking with Jesus before. But there's something else that's true. At the same time, a cost comes when we actually are broken free from our own barriers by Christ and then we reach across group lines for the gospel. And if we are in a church where people themselves are divided over human preferences and have their own barriers and we break free of ours through the gospel, life can become quite uncomfortable for other so-called Christians and maybe for us. Let me tell you a couple of stories. Um, there was a young man who um, began to come to our congregation several years back. And when he first started coming, he would come in for the worship. And then whenever I or another pastor got up to preach, he would vamoose as fast as he could get out of the auditorium. And then after a while, he suddenly started staying for the whole service. And we began to build a relationship with him and get to know him. And what we found out was that he had lived an unbelievably sinful and ungodly lifestyle. He had been caught up in all sorts of sexual perversions. He had probably done every drug that he could possibly find. He had multiple diseases. The sinful lifestyle that he lived was so impactful upon his person that his teeth were falling out and they hurt all the time. But this young man, through his process, came to the place where he met Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ broke him free from the barriers which bound him and was in process of making him a barrier breaker, barrier crosser. Now, here's where it gets interesting. We accepted him as a brother in the Lord. He was baptized at West Hills. And he'd be standing on the front row on one side of our auditorium often, and music would be playing, and he'd just kind of get in the groove, right? He'd raise his hands and start getting in the groove and start moving with the music and stuff like that, right? Now, I don't know if you notice this, but a lot of times, Caucasians, people whose roots are from Europe, aren't necessarily too expressive in worship. And so several people came and said, hey, what's with the dancer? I said, why don't you ask him? And then I said, no, let me tell you. (laughs) And they gave them his background and told them why he was expressing like he was expressing. And once they understood where he had come from and how he was now in Christ, they didn't have a problem with his dancing anymore. But what had happened In their minds, that's not acceptable in a congregation like ours. He's doing it. He's upsetting the apple cart. The focus was on the surface instead of going deeper. He had a girlfriend who had gotten saved out of prostitution, and sometimes she'd be in jail for different things, and then finally she would get out of jail, and after she came out of jail, having met Christ in jail... She came one Sunday morning and she was sitting on the front row, and her name was Mariella. And I saw her and I said, Hey, Mariella, how are you doing? I hadn't seen you in a while. And I think she said, Well, I just got out of jail. Now, that probably made some people uncomfortable. But then she looks at, uh, up at me and says, I'm so glad I'm back. I love you, Pastor Mike. Right? And that made people uncomfortable. Who is this jailbird saying to the pastor that she loves him? Now let me move on. We've covered two of the details from Paul's life and mission, which help us as we consider ours in the 21st century. There is a third, and it's actually the icing on the cake. This barrier breaking gospel and the mission that flows from it is designed to produce a community which models God's manifold wisdom to the world and to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. In other words, to the angelic beings who love and serve God. Notice verses 8 through 10. Paul says, To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches for Christ. Riches that can't be quantified is what he's speaking of. And to bring to light... For everyone, what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things, get verse 10, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. And that was in accordance to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. What in the world is that talking about? Let me give you some insight. The phrase manifold wisdom of God can, according to many commentators, mean God's many-colored wisdom. God's many-colored wisdom. Much like Joseph in Genesis was given a coat of many colors. Um, LCH Linsky went to observe, and I quote, quote, The many-colored wisdom of God was to birth through the gospel a many-colored fellowship. The church, the variegated third race of Jews and non-Jews, multicultural, multi-ethnic, multiracial, which shows us God's multi-colored wisdom. Isn't that great? So that by studying the church, the angelic host might observe the reconciling work of Christ, which is the model for reconciling the universe when all heaven and all earth are finally brought under God and together in Christ. Do you grasp what Paul is saying here? Let me tell you what he's not saying. Paul is not describing here churches that are closed to people of other ethnicities, other subgroups attending, and which never a step across barriers to friend people of other subgroups for the gospel because they are a congregation that has all their barriers up and all their blast shields up because they don't want to sacrifice what they perceive as their personal peace and safety. The church is designed to be the opposite of that. I grew up with that in the 60s in the South, but that's not what the church is called To be. What Paul is saying, and I think I can safely say it like this, is this Jesus came, lived, died, rose, ascended, so that through the good news about Him, the gospel, a new humanity is formed called the church. And God's purpose for the church is that in the church, the old, sinfully motivated racial, social, political, economic, Religious, intellectual, and gender-related barriers are set aside through connection with Jesus Christ. And in this barrier-free community known as the church, the glory of God is shown brightly to angels and to people alike. Now, churches have to work to see this be their reality, and it takes practice because prejudices die hard I'll tell you a couple of stories, and then I'll close. Um, back in the 90s, um, at one time, our congregation was one of six under, uh, under a single um, eldership. And there was a congregation that joined the family of churches called the Cry Out Christian Fellowship. Uh, the Cry Out Christian Fellowship specialized in reaching... The third-generation Hispanic community, particularly those who liked a certain kind of music, and the pastor from the Cry Out Christian Fellowship called the kind of music they played when they did evangelistic outreach, Christian gospel funk. That's what he called it. you have any idea? Christian gospel funk. They began to come and attend some of the main worship services before they were given their own. And this one brother comes in and he's got blue jeans and black tennis shoes and a blue blazer. And he comes in with his family and he sits down and he sits down right next to the children of this nice little homeschool mom and her husband. And he has his hair pulled back in a ponytail and it's warm in there. So he takes his jacket off and he's got tattooed sleeves on his arms. And it was interesting to see that mom kind of slowly reach over take her kids and move them to the other side and put her own body in between him and them. Why did she do that? Well, his appearance made her feel insecure. Prejudices die hard. But eventually, he and his family and others like him were accepted because Christ does that. In Paul's mind, the church on earth is a reflection of what we see in Revelation 7 9 through 11. That's really what the church reflects. Let me just read that to you. What we see there. It's a multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces and worshipped God before the throne. This has been referenced before. But this is the destiny of the Ransom Church of God. People from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. That's what the church is called to reflect. Let me just say this tongue-in-cheek. If anyone here hasn't crossed their own racial barriers, you probably should do it in this life. (laughs) Because when you get to glory... You're going to be worshiping before the throne with a lot of people maybe that you you don't like here. So why not fix it now? So in conclusion, here's what we learned from Paul's description of his own mission. The gospel of Christ is barrier-breaking and breaks the barriers that keep us from God. And when it is received, it makes the persons receiving it barrier-breakers so that others can also believe the good news. And then when all is said and done, the church is established For human barriers are laid aside, demolished by the gospel so that a barrier-free community might reflect the many-colored wisdom of God to angels and to men. This is the nature of Christ's new mission. May we strive through the gospel to be these kinds of churches, to plant these kinds of churches, and to be these kinds of Christians throughout the Bay Area and throughout our world. And by the grace of God, may he grant it. Let's pray. We ask you, Father, in Jesus' name now to be at work in our midst. We pray that you would seal this message to our hearts for all of us who are Christians. Give us grace to take it to heart, as well as Dr. Carson's first message, Aption's message, and Dr. Carson's next message so that we, like Paul, might be individuals in churches to proclaim the unsearchable riches of Christ and start a movement where people are so attracted to the manifold wisdom of God, the many-colored wisdom of God, that they're drawn to us. Bring to Christ those that are with us who don't know you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.